Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the eighth Sunday after Trinity is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments about today's sermon, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website, faithlutheran-aflc.org. Now let's join in and hear what God has to say to us today. Good morning again. A special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the psalm appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Psalm 125, which can be found on page 967 if your pew Bi- in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Psalm 125, verses 1 through 5. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways will lead away with evil, the Lord will leave away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. None of us believes in karma, right? I mean, we, we would all admit that. But, but maybe as good upper Midwestern Lutherans, uh, we might also wink and nod that sometimes it just feels like the odds are stacked against us or that they, the life is spiraling out of control. And when that happens, it's almost impossible for us in our sinful natures to see things as God's judgment. So let me tell you about the week I had this last week. And you can share with me just a little bit in my own personal neuroses, okay? Uh, it started with uh, Monday. Uh, I, I've been seeing a chiropractor regularly for some tightness in my back, for some sciatica and some SI joint pain. And, and this has been going on for about a year, year and a half. But I've noticed recently, and especially since my long road trip to fly last month, that the, my back was just not loosening up. No matter how much I stretched, no matter what I did, it, w- it would just not go away. And so I mentioned that to my chiropractor on Monday, uh, and he said, well, we should probably do some tests to see if there's something more going on. And as he's stretching my hip and rotating my leg, he finally made me scream. And just, just cried out in pain. And he's like, well, there's something there. And so immediately after my chiropractor appointment on Monday, he sent me up for x-rays, two floors above where I was, and, and I got the picture, and on my way up to visit my family, who were on vacation this last week, got the diagnosis. It was a femoral acetabular cam impingement. Now, that doesn't sound good. It turns out it's not great. Uh, and so, uh, talking with some people, I, I, I ended up scheduling a, an exam on uh, Friday, the, two days ago, with a specialist. Tuesday morning, I woke up and I couldn't swallow. So I figured I better get it tested uh, to see if I had strep because I 
my job, I have to see people. And so I went in, got tested for strep, and later that afternoon, sure enough, I had strep. Those of you who go to Bible study on Wednesday night know that we canceled Bible study because on Wednesday night I was still contagious. All right? Uh, uh, come to Friday, and now uh, I have been talking. I have a close friend who had almost exactly the same diagnosis I had in my hip, and he had to have major hip surgery, so I'm preparing myself for the worse. Uh, and, and they looked at things, and they thought, well, we think we can avoid surgery, but you need an MRI, and we're probably going to need to give you a cortisone injection so, you can see, uh, so we can see if there's anything else going on in that area. Uh, to top it all off, uh, and, and I know this is very superficial. I know it. But, but the twins right now are just getting it handed to them by not only one of the worst teams in baseball this year, but by one of the worst teams in baseball history. It, it just starts to add up. And when that happens, you start to notice when everything else bad in your life happens. It just starts to stack one on top of another on top of another. And we get stuck wondering... What on earth did I do to God to deserve this? Where did I go wrong? What am I missing? Well, fortunately, in our lives, God has given us Scripture. We are not left like the other religions of the world to grope about in the darkness wondering what God requires of us and what he thinks of us. And it just so happens that this week, Psalm 125 is our psalm. And in Psalm 125, the psalmist answers, or at least addresses, two important questions for us. And so we're going to look at both of these questions as they are addressed for us by God in his word. So turning our eyes back to Psalm 125, the first question is, why are you afraid? Now notice, this isn't the question that scripture frequently answers, what are you afraid of? But rather, why are you afraid? afraid. Why are you jumping at shadows? Why are you looking over your shoulder, wondering about when the shoe is going to drop or, or what's lurking around the corner? We do this because fear is perhaps the most common human experience. Everyone is afraid, and we're all probably afraid of something. I have a very unfortunate and crippling fear of snakes, Snakes and I, we just don't get along. I don't do snakes, don't want to do snakes. The upper Midwest and I are perfect for each other, right? Most of the time, I don't do well with heights unless I know there's no chance of me falling. I will not walk up to the edge of a cliff and look over to the edge. It's just not happening, right? Some people are afraid of public speaking, and in fact, most surveys indicate that there are more people in the United States who are afraid of public speaking than they are of dying. Which brings up the last one. There's a lot of people in this world afraid of death. But I think one fear, and maybe this is just Western culture, maybe it's contemporary culture, I don't know. I think one fear we often fail to address or recognize in our lives is our fear of losing control. What if something bad happens? What do I do if everything goes sideways? What if I can't fix it? To these and all other fears, the writer of Psalm 125 reminds us of three 
important truths. First, he reminds us that God's people are like Mount Zion. Now, it's probably a good thing to be compared to a mountain. It's rock solid, it's immovable, it's unshakable. And the assurance of our salvation can bring this kind of calm and resolve during life's fiercest trials. But that's not necessarily the comparison that's being made here in Psalm 125. Because Mount Zion isn't just a mountain. It's a special mountain. It's a certain mountain. It's the mountain where God's temple is located. And God's temple is the location of God's presence. And the assurance here in this comparison that God gives us is that as we struggle against fear, He is with us. The one guarantee the people of of God have, no matter what is going on, is that God is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us or abandon us. As the trials and temptations of life assail us, as we suffer, as we grieve, as we mourn, whatever the case might be, what we do and what Scripture directs us to do is to look for God in His presence, that He is there, that He is there with us, and He is there for us. The next truth builds on the first truth. The Lord surrounds his people as he surrounds Jerusalem with mountains. Yet again, we find ourselves in the midst of God's protection, and this is an intensifying image. But over and on top of God's protection is this idea that God acts as a watchman for us. We are surrounded in all directions as the mountains surround Jerusalem, And God knows what's going on in our lives, and he won't let wickedness prevail, and he won't even abandon us to wickedness. God watches out for us because he cares for us, and he is attempting, as he does several places in Scripture, to obliterate this notion in our mind that God is this great, spiteful, cosmic sheriff who's just waiting for us to screw up. That's not God's relationship with us. Rather, he watches over us and he surrounds us with his protection. And what's interesting here, as God talks about the people of God in Psalm 125, is that God doesn't just do this supernaturally. He he, he does do this supernaturally, but God does this in specific ways. In the most prominent most readily recognizable way in which God surrounds us with his protection is the church. He nestles us among other believers. He delivers to us his word and his sacraments. And he bathes us in his presence in the church. And we are kept safe. Finally then, the assurance that God gives us as we worry as we doubt, as we fear, is that the Lord works in justice. He does good to those who are good, and he leads the evildoers away. God is not fickle. He's not capricious. He's not vindictive. He doesn't act according to our bargaining or respond 
to our flattery because he is good and he is just. And what's especially important for us to remember as God's people is that God's justice extends to his salvation. God is just to save us. What this means is that he doesn't ignore our sins. He doesn't pretend that they don't exist. He doesn't keep them in a cellar locked away in heaven's basement waiting to bring them back out at the least convenient time when our performance would demand it. No, God in his justice deals with our sins. Our sins, in fact, have already been punished. Because Jesus has been punished on the cross for us and in our place. So that when God is merciful and gracious to us, he is merciful and gracious to us in such a way that he remains just. He remains consistent with his character. So we can rely on him. We can trust in him and in his faithfulness. This leaves us with one last question. It may seem like a matter of identity, but it's really a matter of doubt. And that question is, what if I'm not who I think I am? Or maybe, what if God finds out who I really am? Or what if someone else realizes how terrible of a person I am? Why would we have this nagging fear and doubt All we need to do to realize this reality is to walk through how the psalmist here in Psalm 125 refers to the children of God. First, they are trusting. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. But we say, that's not me. I'm not trusting. I'm constantly doubting. I'm constantly taking matters into my own hands and fouling things up. I'm constantly jumping at one unfortunate situation and another unfortunate situation, wondering why it is that God hates me so much. Whatever the opposite of trusting is, that's me. As you think about that in your life, I want you to hear the words of another man who came face to face with God as he wrestled against his own doubt and fear. And all he did was cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. And primarily, that's where we're at on a daily basis. We so easily fall into the temptation and the trap that our faith is our responsibility and that our doubt is automatically a sign of unbelief. But those who trust in the Lord are those in whom the Holy Spirit has granted faith through the preaching of the gospel. They are the ones who have heard the gospel and believe. They are the ones also who need to continually hear the gospel because their faith continually needs to be strengthened and enlivened. If you have struggled against fear and doubt in your life, if you have questioned your own identity as a child of God, the answer is not to try harder, to do more, or to be better. The answer is to hear God's word. 
to receive God's word, to know what God thinks about you, and yes, even to remember your baptism, where in that moment, God made you by his action and his word, his child. That's what God does with your doubt. Next, the psalmist refers to the people of God as righteous. Well, that's certainly not me. I'm not righteous. Look at all of the sin I have. Surely, if God knew the depth and extent of my sin, I could never, ever be counted righteous. But God does know the depth and extent of your sin. God knows your sin more than you do. But for those of you who have repented of your sins, and do repent, God declares you righteous. And he does this because Jesus Christ has died on the cross in your place. And he does this because Jesus has paid the price you deserve for your sins. And for those of you who have and do repent of your sins and who cry out to God for mercy, God looks down at you. In his sovereignty, in his divinity, he looks at you and he says two things about you. And all of heaven is witness. He says, not guilty. That's great. That's tremendous news. That God would not hold our sins against us. But the problem is, with us as humans, not guilty isn't good enough. Because God just taking away your sins could be construed as God giving you a second chance to get things right. But you screwed it up before, and you're going to screw it up again, and you're going to screw it up again and again and again. And so God looks at you, and in saying not guilty, he also says righteous. And God counts you, because of Jesus, as having completed and fulfilled and done everything that the law requires. All because of Jesus, but all to your credit. He declares in his justice that you are righteous. We run into the same problem one last time. Because the psalmist calls the people of God good. Well, certainly God might be able to call me righteous, might even be able to declare me righteous, but certainly I'm not good. I'm not a good person. I don't always do good to others. I don't even always think good about others. One miracle of justification among many is that God in declaring you righteous also makes you good and he works through you for good and the things you do by his spirit are good they love and serve your neighbor even with you're not all the way there because God is working in you and through you. But more importantly, maybe, if it could be more important, is that you, as his child, are good and pleasing to God 
right now because you're his child, because he's made you his child. I have in my office right now and considered bringing it out, but I did not want to embarrass one of my children. I have with me always the very first painting they ever did for me, where they painted and said, no, this is for dad. And if you unroll it and look at it, it is just a random amalgamation of finger paints splattered on a piece of paper that's roughly two by two. It means nothing. But to me as father, it means everything. It's one of my greatest treasures that I have. That's the way God thinks of you. The messes that you find yourself in, and in, 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 in all of your efforts to please him, you are good and pleasing to him because you are his child. Because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And it's a wonder and it's a miracle. When we turn our eyes back to Psalm 125, we see that the result of our struggle against fear and against doubt, the result of this from the hand of God himself is peace. Peace be upon Israel, the children of God. When the storms of life assail you, when you are attacked on every side by your enemies, God meets you there in that place with his peace. And you have no reason to fear because God is with you and God is with you for all eternity. And when the doubts creep up inside you about who you are and what you've done, past, present, and future, God meets you there in that place with his peace as well. Not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, but because God has declared to you that you are righteous that you are good, that you are his child. And when God says something, it's true. He cannot lie. He does not lie. And he will not lie. And so you, dear saints, rest in God's peace, the peace that only he can deliver. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.